My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. Welcome to the season four premiere of Plotting Through the Presidents. Season four. Yes. I cannot believe we're here. We took such a long break as usual. I'm feeling rusty. I'm feeling awkward. I, You better bring it. You know what? Motion is lotion. So we just get into it and, and we says get... Says our friend Grace, who's a physical therapist. Yeah. And now says I. <laughs> uh, welcome to season four. We've got a big season planned. Our biggest yet, I think. And we're so excited to be back. Our biggest yet. Oh, yeah. You're sounding a lot like Bachelor in Paradise when they come back. (laughs) Just wait. Just wait. It's the most shocking season yet. Bachelors are going to (laughs) die. And so are Bachelorettes. And Claire's back again. And they drowned. All of them. (laughs) Speaking of drowning. Jeez. um, Way to bring it dark. No, sorry, sorry. It was funny and now it's dark. That's who we are. We're dark. And funny. I mean, speak for yourself. <laughs> well, I have no morbidity whatsoever. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking I about. I have comorbidities. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween is just around the corner, and this story is perfect for the season. Oh, nice. Part murder mystery, part true crime courtroom drama, oh. with a dash of political intrigue. This one is a ride. You are speaking my language. There you go. And listener (laughs) discretion is definitely advised. Uh, This episode has adult content and does contain some descriptions of sexual violence. Okay. I'm prepped and ready. All right. This is the story of a murder of a young woman that happened in 1799. And we're talking about it here because Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr both play a role. Really? Yes. Not as the killer or the victim. That comes later. Spoiler okay. alert. But in this murder trial, Burr and Hamilton are both lawyers for the accused killer. Oh. Yes. For the accused killer. Yes. Hamilton and Burr? Yeah. Working on the same Working team together, side by side. To to defend a killer. An accused killer. An accused, an alleged killer. Yes. Uh, this case is briefly mentioned in Hamilton. He calls it the first murder trial in our brand new nation. It was not the first murder trial in the United States, but it was the first murder trial that was transcribed. So we basically have a script of what was said, which is primary source heaven. (laughs) I know that must have been really, really exciting for you. It was very exciting for me. Yes. (sighs) Um, I dug into multiple transcripts and newspapers, and I have to say the greatest source and the greatest book on this topic is a book called Duel with the Devil, the true story of how Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr teamed up to take on America's first sensational murder mystery by Paul Collins. Wow. See, that's what you got to do. You got to pick something really specific and then go to town on it. That's what this guy did. It's yeah. detailed. It's engaging. And if you want to dig into this topic further, that's where I would point you. Are you ready? Bring it on. This is a story in three acts. Oh, I love the acts. Act one is the disappearance of Elma Sands. Oh, Elma. December 1799. So this story, the timeline actually picks up just after our last episode. 
What was our last episode? It was uh, Benjamin Rush and his oh, trial. Oh, was the best. Yeah. So George Washington had just died, partially because of the bleeding his doctor subjected him to. Mm. The nation was in mourning. John Adams is the president. Uh, he's a little grumpy that Washington is getting so much attention from dying. <laughs> and in the run-up to the election of 1800, everything is political. Mm-hmm. And nowhere is that more true than in New York, the crucial swing state that could decide the election. Oh, boy. But far from the world of politics, in a little boarding house in lower Manhattan was a young woman named Alma Sands. How old was she? 22 years old. Oh, really young. And on a cold winter night, December 22nd, 1799, Alma left her boarding house around 8 p.m. and she never came back. Mm. Well, she never came back alive. Goodness. So let's talk about Alma. Her full first name was Guillelma, um, but she was called Alma for short. Okay. She was 22, like I said, single, and she was living in a boarding house owned by her cousin Catherine and Catherine's husband, Elias Ring. There were at least 11 people living there at the time in this four-story boarding house. Elma's family were Quakers. Elma wasn't so much into the, the religious part of that, but her family was. She was in that tricky, not-yet-married stage where she had to walk that line between fulfilling her societal duty of going out and finding a husband, um, but not being too scandalous. Because that could ruin her reputation. So show a little boob, but not too much. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> um, the late 18th century equivalent of that. Yeah. Like she had to be social. She had to try to meet someone. She's but, trying to date. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was a tough position to be in because she liked to speak her mind. She liked to go out and have fun. Maybe a little bit more than some girls. Mm. She also seemed prone to depression and other illnesses. Mm. She once joked about drinking a whole bottle of laudanum if she had it. Wow. So, I mean, no one really jokes about that. Well, I mean, it depends. Some people said she was serious and some said that it was just like, who hasn't said like, oh, kill me now? That kind of thing. Well, I mean, I might say that if I lived then. Right. Her cousin Catherine said that on the day Elma disappeared, she'd shared a big secret. Elma confided to her cousins Hope and Catherine that she was engaged to be married that night to one of the other boarders. Oh, no, he killed her. A man named Levi Weeks. He killed her. You know, hey. He's the one. (laughs) We need to keep an open mind here. (laughs) Okay. You know? I'm trying, but, you know, that doesn't sound good. I mean, that's the last thing she did was marry that guy and then wound up dead. I mean. I guess we can wrap up right now. I guess we can stop. Thanks for listening. (laughs) I'll see you next week. I mean, that's that's a a convenient way to find a fiance back then, though. Like somebody marrying them late at night. <laughs> no, no, somebody who's in your same boarding house, like marrying a roommate. Okay, that's not the problem. No, I'm just saying, like, it, I, yeah, this sure. comes up marrying all the time. Marrying a roommate, but it's the I'm gonna go get married late at night. Oops, I'm dead. I mean, that's usually <laughs> right? the last thing you do is get killed by your fiance. Is what it sounds like. Getting killed is often the last thing some people do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I guess you continue. And let me guess, Hamilton, Emperor, defend Thomas Weeks. What's his name? Levi Weeks. Levi Weeks. <laughs> yeah. Do you, you want to do this one? You can tell me. I can, yeah, hand over your laptop. All right, here you go. You got this. That would this. be a really fun episode. It would be if you, at that point. <laughs> if it's, I could just read it and t- try to tell a story, I don't know. I mean, Yes, or just make it up. Okay, send us a message if that's what you want. <laughs> yes, yes. It's like chirp, chirp, chirp. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know how weddings generally work back then, but you bring up a good point. I don't know. Apparently, if, they end in death. Was it? A, is it normal to go out at night and get married? 
in the middle of winter? I'm going to say no. Okay. But you don't, you weren't there, were you? No, of course not. (laughs) (laughs) Of course not. You weren't there. I don't go to midnight weddings (laughs) in the freezing cold. That's why I'm always so lonely when I go to them without you. (laughs) That's where you go. Yes. (laughs) Yes, that's it. Um, Elma's alleged fiance, Levi Weeks, was a skilled tradesman, a carpenter, mechanic, architect, and he worked for his brother, Ezra Weeks. And Ezra was a pretty big deal. I mean, Ezra sounds like a big deal. He was. Yeah, it doesn't get better than Ezra. Yeah. Um, He was really well-connected, a contractor. He had contracts to build some of the biggest properties in the city, including a house that Hamilton was having built, and a pipeline project for the Manhattan Company, which was an interesting business founded by Aaron Burr. It's all connected. It is all connected and goes all the way to the top. (laughs) Alma wanted to look fancy. So she borrowed a nice muff from her neighbor. What the hell is a muff? A muff? I'm glad you asked. It, <laughs> is it's it a hat? No, not a hat. A shoulder fur? Not a shoulder fur, but you got the fur part right. Is it a ankle anklet? An anklet no, full fur on not, the boots? Not for your ankles, not for your boots. <laughs> okay. Your hands? Yes. Like a glove? Yes. It's like a fashionable hand warmer. It's like oh. a, f- a fabric oh. cylinder with fur on the inside and the outside so you can put your hands in it to keep warm. I remember that from, you know, little women. From, <laughs> from your finishing school days? Yeah, from my finishing school days in the 1800s. What did they do with those when they had to use their hands, though? It seems oh, wildly oh, a inconvenient. Oh, woman would never have to use her hands. <laughs> okay. She's not opening doors. She's not. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, she gets home. Somebody props her up, sits her down on the couch, and then she just... Leans to the side and sleeps. Yeah. According to Catherine, Alma borrowed the muff, came back to the boarding house to get ready, and she left around 8 p.m. And Catherine was pretty sure that Alma left with Levi Weeks. Pretty sure. You either see it or you don't. She didn't, but she thought she heard it. Oh, that's strange. Yeah, there's lots of testimony that's like... What did she hear? I heard sounds on the stairs. Hi, it's Levi. Come on down. Bring your muffles. Well, she heard Alma come home. She heard Levi come home. She heard Levi leaving. And she heard uh, soft footsteps on the stairs going down. Must have been her boot muffs. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. She, uh, every extremity was covered in muffs. <laughs> That's the life. It really is. Later that night, around 10 p.m., Levi returned without Elma. Levi asked about Elma. He seemed concerned that she wasn't home. He said they had not left together, and he didn't know where she was. <sighs> It does not sound good. Catherine thought Elma might come back the next day. I guess it wasn't unheard of for her to stay out all night. Huh. Yeah. But she didn't come back. Days went by and the Ring family grew more concerned. The story of this missing woman was printed in the newspapers and rumors started to circulate. Handbills were printed anonymously that said Elma was dead and the Ring boarding house was being haunted by her ghost. And the ghost was specifically haunting her killer, Levi Weeks. Oh, fun. Yeah. Then, on Christmas Eve, some boys were playing in this big, open, woodsy, swampy area called Lispinard's Meadow. It doesn't exist anymore. It's like part of uh, Soho in New York. One of the boys found a muff right next to a well. Oh, he wouldn't have left the muff there. He wouldn't, like, if someone pushed her in the well, I don't think they would have left the muff. That's my one gut feeling about that. 
Maybe yeah. he didn't push her. No? Because the muff is left there. The muff is enough? <laughs> Unless he wanted to trick people. He pushed her and said, I'm going to leave this muff here so people think she fell in. Interesting. So we Interesting. don't know. There's a lot um, of ways that could go. It was apparently a boarded up well belonging to... <laughs> <laughs> was that change things? <laughs> You let me go on quite a while <laughs> you know, there with those theories. Um, the well was boarded up. Okay, well. <laughs> well. You know, well, what can I say? The well belonged to the Manhattan Company, Burr's Manhattan Company. So the history behind the Manhattan Company and the role that Burr and Hamilton played in its creation is a wild story that we don't have time to do justice to today. Okay. But will we'll, we one day? We will one day. Fun times. When the story of the muff got out, some guys went to the well. They took the cover off. They lowered a pole to see if they could feel anything. So the cover comes off. The cover comes off. So maybe she fell in and Levi was just like slowly put the cover back on. You know, you it was, she pushed it off. She fell in. Levi slowly put it over. Like, this is going to look bad for me. Um, that seems to be the simplest explanation, huh? Yes. Um, so they felt around down there thought they felt a body they put some nails in the end of the pole and they they lowered it back in and they hooked what they felt Ew, that's disgusting they pulled up the lifeless body of elma sands oh so she was in there yes her hair was a mess with a white ribbon still tied in it her gown was torn open above the waist and her shoes and belt were missing oh one of the men said that her arms and her legs were stiff but her neck was remarkably limber as though it had been broken oh so, so gross and sad yes so after finding her body a crowd immediately went to find levi weeks according to one of the men who recovered her body when they confronted levi and said they'd found elma's body he said ah in the manhattan well what dun dun levi knew so he's but did he say it that nonchalantly? I don't know but apparently I mean, you kind of are like oh in the manhattan well dun dun I, End but. of story, executive producer Dick Wolf. That's all she wrote. <laughs> I'm Annie from Boston, Massachusetts. And I'm Johanna from Vienna, Austria. We're the hosts of Fresh Hell, your international podcast that covers murder, mystery, and the macabre throughout history. Are you interested in the 3,569 ways your household could have killed you in the Victorian era? Do you know how malaria and syphilis played a role in the John List family murders? And have you ever wondered what Prince Albert's sex chair had to do with the murder of Stanford White? Okay, nothing. It had nothing to do with it. We're still telling you about it, though. It's a pretty great sex chair. If you're looking for another show that talks about Ted Bundy, this is probably not the podcast for you. But if you're looking for two women that cover lesser-known cases from all over the world with a lot of background information. So much background information that you will rock your local pub quiz from now on. Then find Fresh Hell Podcast on your favorite podcast app. We also have German cannibals. See you soon. Tschüss. That brings us to Act 2, the trial. That's all we know about her death. We're going to talk more. Oh, okay. It's all, Wait, this is not over? The okay. acts are slightly arbitrary. So the legal system was really different back then. So you and I, we are sort of experts on New York law. I'm not an expert on New York law. Based on watching Law & Order SVU. Well, we have seen all the episodes. I think so. So at this point, we might know more than the layman. <laughs> but this was before there was a special victims unit or any kind of victims unit or even detectives. What do they do all day? 
they would go and arrest people. They'd like stamp papers with their sealing wax. (laughs) I don't know (laughs) if the police did that. They didn't investigate crimes back then. So they might go arrest somebody and fetch them and bring them to jail. But it was up to the district attorney to do all the investigating if they were going to prosecute. Okay. So the district attorney in New York City was named Cadwallader Calden. What a name. Yeah. It was completely up to him to put together a convincing story using only circumstantial evidence. I could put together a convincing story one way or another. You know what? He could have used your help because he was doing this all <laughs> was by himself. He struggling? Probably. He was all by himself putting together this case and he was only 31 years old. Mm. Yeah. Cadwallader did not have age or experience on his side, but he had something even better on his side. The public. Oh, that's, that is nice. Yeah, the rumors about Levi Weeks and the discovery of the body, they had whipped the masses into a frenzy. They wanted his blood. The day of the trial, the crowd outside the courthouse was shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! Wow. Yeah. But Cadwallader was facing the biggest rock star attorneys in New York City. Hamilton? Mm-hmm. And Burr. And, Sir. yes, and a man named... Uh, Brock Holst Livingston, who would go on to be a Supreme Court justice. Mm. These bigwig, revolutionary war veteran, high-profile lawyers, these were the best of the best. Mm-hmm. So why would Hamilton and Burr decide to work together to defend this accused murderer? Why? Well, it wasn't for the money. For the reputation? For the fame and the power. They wanted fame and power? Didn't they have that already? Well, they wanted political power, and this was late 1799, early 1800. The election of 1800 was coming up. Okay. And they were part of opposing parties. They were kind of the leaders of their parties. Um, Burr for the Democratic-Republicans, the party of Jefferson, and Hamilton for the Federalists, which was the party of Hamilton. They knew that this case was going to be big news, and it didn't hurt to get their names out there as much as possible. Even as a team. Yeah. And they may not have even been paid for this because there's no record of them getting money, but they both had ties to Ezra Weeks and and who knows. Everything like is so related. A couple of the jurors were cousins. Some of them worked together. (laughs) Burr, Hamilton, Livingston, and Levi Weeks' brother... They were all involved in the Manhattan Company where the body was found. Oh. Um, they all had political ties with each other and the judge. Maybe one of them did it. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, that would be something. <laughs> um, but there were conflicts of interest galore. But, you know, nothing you could do about it. So the trial starts out with the reading of the indictment. Mm-hmm. And it does not set the most equal justice for all tone. Mm. It says that Levi Weeks, not having the fear of God before his eyes but being moved and seduced by the instigation of the devil, (laughs) did make an assault, did take the said Guillermo Sands into the hands of him, and did cast, throw, and push her into a certain well, where, the indictment said, she was choked, suffocated, and drowned. And that's the... How are you choked and suffocated in the well? Those were just three of the verbs that were part of this indictment. They weren't in, like, any particular order. It went on and on with lots of the aforesaid well, the aforesaid choking, (laughs) and striking and beating, and every possible verb that he could have done to her Mm -hmm. is mentioned in this indictment. Wow, so they really think he's guilty. Well, I mean, (laughs) that's why they indicted him. Uh The indictment's not going to be like, you know, we think maybe. So this isn't shocking at all. No, but it's (laughs) saying he was instigated by the devil. Oh, That's a hell of a way to start. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like everyone had the devil or God behind them back then. You know, Cadwallader starts out by setting expectations. Can we call him something else? Caddy? Caddy? Wall? Can we just call him Wally? Wally? Cadwally? 
Okay. I just, every time you say catawalker, I want to like. Catwalliter. I want to like stop and try to figure out how to say it. And then I'm not listening to the next sentence. So okay. I think it's best to call him Caddy, Caddy. or Wally. Caddy. Caddy. Okay. I mean, I think of golf, but that's fine. Sure. You can that's, think of golf. That's a quicker thought than than trying to say <laughs> Sure. So I think that'll be more functional It for might be purposes. a quicker game than trying to say Cadwallader. <laughs> exactly. All 18 holes. Exactly. Um, so Caddy starts out his defense. He acknowledges who he's up against. And he says the defendant has to employ so many advocates distinguished for their eloquence and abilities. So vastly my superiors in learning, experience, and professional rank. So he acknowledges what he's up against. And he acknowledges that, hey, the evidence here is only circumstantial. This is what we got. But he says that that should be enough. Mm. And then with a series of witnesses, Caddy lays out the prosecution's story. So their story is that Levi Weeks is a cold-blooded killer. And he was seen days before the murder, measuring the depth of the well. (laughs) Then a couple of days later, he and Elma Sands left their boarding house together, where she thought they were going to get married. And somewhere, at some point, Levi killed Elma, and he took his brother's sleigh in stealth mode without bells at night (laughs) out to the well and back, and that's where he dumped the body. What's his purpose for killing her? That's a great question. Like, why? Why? What's the motive? Fantastic question. Um, Some people theorized that she was pregnant, and maybe that was scandalous, and he wanted to get rid of her because of that. But they were about to be married, so no one would have really known. Maybe not. And also, uh, the autopsy showed that she was not pregnant. Huh. Okay. Yeah. That's about the extent of forensic science back then, though. Okay. They could say she wasn't pregnant, but they couldn't say a whole lot else for sure. So there were doctors, or at least dentists, who testified that they examined her body, but they disagreed with each other about the nature of her injuries, whether they could have been caused by drowning or whether her neck was broken. They couldn't tell if her neck was broken? No. That's odd. You'd think even back then they could look at the bones and if they were broken. You would think. <sighs> yeah. Um, one doctor who testified about her injuries. I don't trust injuries, these doctors. I just want to throw that out there. I don't trust anybody in this story. <laughs> Not a single damn one. Really? <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> one doctor who testified about her injuries He viewed her days after she was discovered, but not in a morgue or any controlled environment, but um, he viewed her on the street where her body was displayed. So they brought her body was displayed on the street after death. Yeah. They brought her back to the rings boarding house. Morbid America is this? Well, they brought her back to the boarding house where she lived. And there were so many people coming to view the body that they had to bring it outside. Thousands of people stopped by to get a look. This was a huge story. I'm just grimacing. I have no words. Yeah, I agree with your grimace. Like, that's that's a strange way. Yeah, and one doctor who was just basically a passerby looking at the scarring or bruising on her body days later, um, weeks after she probably died. They just parade this body out in public? Well, the body was just standing still, I think, and the people paraded around it. That's so bizarre. Yeah, yeah. But this, this doctor who said, oh, I'm sure that um, she was choked, um, looks like Levi must have choked her, <laughs> barely got a look at her, and oh it was gosh. among a crowd where he didn't even really get to examine her. That was the state of forensic science at the time. Wow. Can you please remind everybody that after I die, I do not want to be put in the street to be gawked at? Hold on, I'm just writing this down. Yeah, please. Make a note. Gawked with a W. Gawked at. Okay. Underlined. 
No um, gawking. No, no gawking at okay. Jess's body. All right. It shall be a private matter. Private gawking only. <laughs> no one gets to gawk. No gawkers? I don't want anyone to see me like that. Okay. Um, that is morbid. <laughs> Sorry, you just got sad. A little bit, yeah. I just don't want to be... Well, I'm sad about the no gawking. <laughs> I don't want to be... I just can't believe they thought that was okay. It's someone's body. I know. It's, it's someone. It's absurd, but everybody vessel. was um, captivated by the story, and that, that's how they drummed she up became the this commodity. crucify him cries yeah she became this commodity her body just she was the girl like in the well the well girl yeah do you think the ring is based off of this no do you think behind her eyes the show is based off of this no those are the only two well stories i know okay all right I'm Shay. And I'm Jody. We host the Rainy Day Rabbit Holes podcast, a deep dive into the misty mysteries of the Pacific Northwest. From the untold stories of eccentric pioneers to the secrets buried deep in the moss-covered forests, we take you on a not-so-serious journey through the quirky tales and hidden stories of the region. On our show, you can hear great content like... Dr. Dewey's teachings propelled Linda Hazard into a lifetime career of starving people for money under the auspices of healing. I could do that. <laughs> Run a cult or both. <laughs> and thoughtful insights like Doll's son Charles is burned and poor Sparky is killed. <gasps> RSVP poor Sparky. No, not RSVP, RIP. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> From coffee pioneer Starbucks to feet on a beach and even Bigfoot, we have something for everyone. So grab your latte and hit play. Listen, learn, and laugh with Rainy Day Rabbit Holes. See you down the rabbit hole. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, so without science and evidence, the prosecution had to at least establish a connection between Levi and Alma that put them together. You mean that night? Well, or just in general. In general. Well, people in general. saw them together. Did they? I mean... There were footsteps. <laughs> Foot, whose footsteps? Yeah. They were light muffle footsteps. <laughs> yes. So they called different witnesses who testified that they'd seen Levi and Alma being intimate with each other. Wow. Seen them be intimate? Mm -hmm. That so they like saw. Kissing? <laughs> oh, if only. <laughs> what? That they saw Levi and Alma go out together that night. So Levi's alibi was that he was at his brother Ezra's house and Ezra's wife was there too. They all vouched for him. But Caddy had one witness, an old neighbor of Ezra's, not like a former neighbor, but like an, a neighbor who was old. Mm -hmm. um, she said that she saw Ezra Weeks's horse and sleigh leave around the time of the murder with no bells on. Late at night, no bells. Stealth mode. So do you usually have bells on a sleigh? That's not just a song. It's, it's a thing, especially at night. So people can hear you coming on your sleigh. Apparently. There were also some witnesses who placed that same sleigh on a path to the well. And on top of that, witnesses who lived near the well said they heard a woman screaming, help, I'm being murdered. What? 
I might be paraphrasing a little bit, but it was basically, help, I'm being murdered. They heard that? They didn't do anything about it, but they heard it. (sighs) And then there was also um, Levi saying, oh, in the well, which the prosecution said he could have had no way of knowing where her body was. So Caddy worked his ass off during this trial. He was basically working alone to round up all these witnesses. He even had a big map of the crime scene and where Ezra Weeks lived, and he timed how long it took to get from one place to another to show that in the brief time that Levi Weeks' time was unaccounted for, he could have committed this murder. Mm, They timed it with bells and without bells. I don't know if the bells would have slowed him down. (laughs) But I know that... extra, you know, they're extra matter in the wind. Like swimmers, they don't wear bells. Yeah, I'm not sure if he tested it without bells. Okay. (laughs) It's a good question, though. Yeah. If you were on the jury, you could bring that up. I would bring that. That would be my question. That That would be my one and only question. Yeah. I feel like somebody in the crowd would just yell, burn the witch. (laughs) I would have never survived back then. Well, you, as a woman, you wouldn't have been on the jury. And as a woman, I wouldn't have survived the witch trials. (laughs) Oh, the witch trials? No. No, there's there's no way I would have survived Mm -mm. that. No, I'm sorry. At this point, it's 1.30 in the morning. During the trial? Yes. Can't they just take a break well, and just do it the next day? The defense hadn't even started their case yet. Oh my gosh. So the judge ordered the trial to adjourn for the day, which was almost unheard of. Everyone could go Again, home. Again, with only circumstantial evidence. It's not like there was a lot to get through. <laughs> there were 75 witnesses that first day, I think. Or maybe 75 Ooh, total. No one even saw them. Lots of guys just came up and said, oh yeah, Levi, <laughs> Okay. And then they sat back down or whatever. I see. There were lots of witnesses in and the out. Boom, 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 witnesses. boom, boom. Some character witnesses, some witnesses who were characters. <laughs> it was a lot going on. Got it. So everybody could go home and get a little bit of sleep, except the jury. And Ezra. And Caddy. Well, Ezra could go home. Levi. And Levi could not. Not Levi, no. Could not get rest. Caddy could go home and get rest. And Alma is forever at rest. Wow. This is so sad. So the jury were like prisoners. They weren't allowed to leave the building. And because most trials never went for more than a day, there wasn't a place for them to stay. They got to camp out. They had to spend the night uh, like upstairs in some portrait room. That's creepy. Yeah. So the next day, no one's gotten much sleep. The jury is probably sore and cranky from like sleeping in a museum. And (laughs) it's up to Burr and Hamilton to win over this jury. To turn it all around from the crowds yelling, crucify him. It doesn't seem fair. Like, they they weren't set up for success. No one's arrested. They went second. Like, yeah. It just doesn't seem fair. But they're hotshot lawyers. Okay, so it shouldn't matter. We'll see. So it's great that we have this transcript. But one really unfortunate thing about it is that the clerk didn't note who said what when it came to the defense lawyers. Oh, no. So we don't know for sure which statements were made by Hamilton or which were made by Burr. I'm sure we could figure it out with how long-winded Hamilton can be. Burr could, too. They they both were talkers. And I'm just assuming that this Brockholes guy like, couldn't get a word in edgewise. <laughs> but I don't know. All right. So now it's the defense's turn. And Burr opens up the defense. We're pretty sure this is Burr anyway. Um, but the cockiness could be him or Hamilton. <laughs> but he opens up by saying... The patience with which you have listened to this lengthy and tedious detail of testimony is honorable to your characters. So he flatters the, the jurors. Jury. Yeah. <laughs> Did um, that work back then? 
<laughs> I think it, it would probably still work today. I don't know. Really? <laughs> um, he flatters them and then he appeals to their manhood. Oh. Telling them that it requires some fortitude to withstand the peer pressure to convict Levi Weeks. So Burr was a lieutenant colonel in the Revolutionary War. Hamilton was a general. These are military leaders and master politicians telling these men on the jury what it takes to be a man. Mm. So that's got to have some kind of impact. Some clout. Yeah. So Hamill Burr goes on. He says, The thousand tongues of rumor have been steadily employed in the fabrication and dissemination of falsehoods, and every method has been taken to render their slanders universal. We have witnessed the extraordinary means which have been adopted to inflame the public passions and to direct the fury of popular resentment against the prisoner. Okay, so, wow. Honestly, like, it is so verbose. I just feel like they probably were like, let's just wrap this up. (laughs) Maybe. But then he goes on. And this is right in line with... There's more words. Yes. And this this is right in line with what you were saying about kind of displaying the body. Uh, He says, why has the body been exposed for days in the public streets in a manner the most indecent and shocking? Yeah. And he answers the question to attract the curiosity and arouse the feelings of numberless spectators. So to be a spectacle. Yeah. Such dreadful scenes speak powerfully to the passions. They petrify the mind with horror, congeal the blood within our veins, and excite the human bosom with irresistible but undefinable emotions. This might be why I like true crime. Yeah. (laughs) When such emotions are once created, they are not easily subdued. Yes. So he's saying they they use this body. They manipulated the emotions of these people to whip them into a frenzy against Levi Weeks. Yeah, definitely. To become a spectacle yeah, and to, to raise mania. Yeah. And then Burr offers to go beyond the threshold just of reasonable doubt. He promises to prove that Levi is innocent. Wow. That's confident. That's confidence right there. And I think they responded to that confidence. I don't know. Yeah. But the defense doesn't need a whole lot of fancy words because their main tactic throughout the trial, um, it was simple but brilliant. It's basically to ask each witness, really? And the witnesses fall apart. That's a great plan. Yeah. The person who saw Levi measuring the depth of the well, when they asked him, hey, what was the man you saw wearing? The witness confidently answered that Levi was wearing a red coat and Levi did not own a red coat. (laughs) Also, it was pretty far away and dark. Could he have gotten rid of the red coat? You think he bought a red coat just to go measure a well? No, he and then had he got the, rid of the red coat. He had the red coat, measured the well. In the red Nobody coat. ahead of time had ever seen this red coat, rid of like the a red secret coat. red coat. Yeah. Plus, it was kind of dark outside. It was far away. This would not pass the my cousin Vinny test. <laughs> the deer put its little deer lips on the water, and bang. <laughs> That's your Mar- Marissa Tomei. I yeah. like it. <laughs> you do. Um, if I knew the word, if I could remember the words to my cousin, I don't Vinny, think, I think that would help. I think it would have helped. The little deer. <laughs> <laughs> that is a Valley Girl doing Jersey. I think, yeah, something happened at the end there. But I liked it. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um. So as for the sleigh, and this poor old woman who said that she saw Ezra Weeks' sleigh leave that night with no bells on, then come back not long after. When the defense, either Hamilton or Burr, cross-examined her, it didn't go well. They asked her whether this had happened before Christmas or after, and she said, after, in January. They're like, are you sure? 
And she said she was sure. So sad. Yeah, because Elma had gone missing in December right. before Christmas. Early December or mid-December. Yeah. Apparently, this witness was not prepared to answer questions like, when? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's really sad. Yeah. So they weren't really preparing witnesses then, I guess. Apparently not. But I mean, Caddy had his hands full. Yeah. You know, he couldn't prepare every witness. Yeah. What I learned reading about this case is that I don't trust anyone. Mm -hmm. No one can be trusted here. Not even Elma's family, the rings. Really? Yeah. Why would they lie, you ask? Why? Well, because according to one witness who lived next door, on the other side of this thin wood wall separating the homes, while Mrs. Ring was away during a big yellow fever outbreak that was happening a few months before the murder, Mr. Ring was, according to this neighbor, sleeping with Elma. Wait a minute. Yeah. His daughter. No, his like niece-in-law or something. Oh, okay. Or, or second cousin still, or cousin-in-law or something. Yeah. Still gross. Oh, yeah. Not good. Um, <laughs> this guy said that his bed was just on the other side of the partition from where Alma slept. And he heard her bed shaking along with a woman's voice and a man's voice who he knew couldn't be Levi because it was too high to be Levi's voice. Oh, it was too high to be Levi's Yeah. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Okay. So when they asked this guy, how many times did you hear the bed shaking? Uh, how many times did this happen? He said, um, from eight to 14 times. Eight to 14 yeah. times. <laughs> a fairly specific range. That's like a, that's a rather large range. <laughs> it, is, it is not a normal answer. <laughs> well, a lot. <laughs> yeah, maybe eight. It might have been more than 10. Yeah, not. It might not have been. Not seven. <laughs> <laughs> and 15 seems high 15 seems high yeah 14 uh, that seems about right but it could have been eight it could have it could have just been eight because it was definitely it was more than seven Gosh. yeah and it was a high voice real high, high voice. <laughs> but i picture him as an older man he was i don't know why his voice was so high but you know i don't know can't there's no science to that either <laughs> no so who's telling the truth I don't know. So he may have been sleeping with her. According to this one witness. Maybe she had some gentleman caller who she was sleeping with. Why does it have to be? Like, he didn't see or hear the other dude. No, but apparently um, Mr. Ring was the only man at the house during these times, according to this witness. someone could have come over. Maybe. With no bells. <laughs> no bells. How are you going to know if they're there with no bells? So I do know that one guy who played a huge role in the prosecution's case, is maybe not that trustworthy. The prosecution, they had to establish a relationship between Levi and Alma, and the naughtier the better for making Levi look like a real creep. Mm -hmm. uh, most of this argument hinges on the testimony of one witness, another boarder named Richard David Croucher. Now this Croucher guy, he's a salesman. He's just come from England earlier that year, and there's something off about him. For one... He's ugly. Okay. Everybody agrees that he's ugly. And I don't like to tear down people for their looks, except John C. Calhoun, because he's where everything good goes to die. <laughs> but Croucher was so ugly that both the defense and the prosecution had to make a note of it. He was described as having yellow skin, a large nose, ill-looking large eyes. Ew. But let's stick to the facts. Or his testimony, anyway. I can't call anything he said facts because yeah, I don't trust anyone. Everyone was lying. Croucher said that he saw Levi go into Elma's room one night in just a shirt. 
I don't know what that means in 1800. Like if it's some sort of night shirt. Like a night like, shirt. Maybe like Eugene Levy and Schitt's Creek. <laughs> exactly. Then Croucher says, oh, yeah, and if I left my door open a little bit and I laid back in my bed in a certain way, I could watch them getting it on. Oh. Or as he put it, once when they were less cautious than usual, I saw them in a very intimate situation. That's yeah. also very vague. It is vague, but um, the creepy part is that he said he had to have his door open and be laying on his bed in a certain position, which he did uh, intentionally. That's really, I'm getting sick again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he's telling all this to the prosecution, but the defense, Hamilton or Burr, I'm not sure, they ask him if he might have had some kind of grudge against Levi. Like, was there any bad blood between you? And Croucher says, oh, yeah, one time I was running up the stairs and I almost ran into Alma and she screamed and fainted. <laughs> so remember, this guy's like super ugly. So the sight of that running up the oh stairs God. at you. <gasps> might... Screamed and fainted. Yes. Uh-huh. Then he says that Levi heard her scream and he came out and he got mad at Croucher and Croucher called him an impertinent puppy, <sighs> which is like dueling words. Uh-huh. If Croucher was worth dueling. Yeah, calling someone a puppy. Yeah, yeah. I remember from another episode you saying how insulting that was. Puppy's like the worst. It's the worst thing you could call somebody yeah. back then. Well, a man of honor. Yeah. A man of honor, a puppy. Yeah. Now, if Levi and Elma were sneaking around, it makes sense that he would be coming to her room since he shared his room with an apprentice. Okay. That apprentice was called to the stand, and he said that he remembers one night when Levi got up and checked to make sure that the apprentice was asleep, which he pretended to be. <laughs> and then Levi went downstairs in a shirt and didn't come back up until the morning. Wow. So, I don't know. He's going someplace. Yeah. Without bells. Yeah, no bells. He's stealthily moving around the house. Stealth maybe, mode. Maybe he had insomnia. Oh, but we know he was getting it on from the looky-loo. Yeah, if you believe Croucher. If you believe Croucher. Yeah. He also seems to have been the real source of the public outcry against Levi. Wow. It comes out that before the trial, Croucher was going around town, walking into businesses and saying, hey, did you hear they found proof that Levi Weeks killed that girl? Oh, they sure did. They'll be arresting him anytime now for sure. And then he would leave without buying anything. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't understand. Yes. Why was he so against him? Was it the puppy thing on the stairs? Maybe. Maybe. This led to a famous moment during the trial that kind of got turned into a legend for both Burr and Hamilton, mm -hmm. depending on who's telling it. So in reality, one of the, the grocers in the town testified that Croucher came into his store bad-mouthing Levi. And one of the defense attorneys, either Hamilton or Burr, moved through this dim courtroom and held up a candelabra to Croucher's scary face, making it even scarier with shadows, <laughs> and said, is this the man? And the witness said, yes. <laughs> and in the myth, Hamilton or Burr like, lights up his face, and, and it's clear to everyone that that's the killer, and the trial is basically over. Oh my goodness. That's not quite what happened. No. So the defense does try to cast reasonable doubt on Levi Weeks by suggesting that Croucher might be the real killer. They ask, where was he on the night that Alma disappeared? His alibi was that he was at a friend's son's birthday party. <laughs> friend's son's birthday party. But the thing is, the boy's mother couldn't say when that birthday party was. <laughs> she didn't remember when she threw her son's no. birthday party. This is why it's important to have a diary mm -hmm. for alibis. This is why no one's ever accused John Quincy Adams of murder. 
because every single day in his diary, he said who he was with, what he discussed with them, and whether or not he murdered them. Every single day, didn't murder them. How did he find the time to update his diary to Um, such an extent? I think he ignored his family. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's how you do it, huh? Yeah. Okay. That explains some things. Goals. (laughs) Goals. Um, So at this point, it's day two. It's getting late. Caddy, Caddy, Cadwallader Golden. Caddy just wants to go to bed. He yeah. says, hey, Judge, fuck. I've been I, up I, for 44 <laughs> hours. And he said he's begging, please, let's adjourn. Let's continue tomorrow. But the judge and the jury say, screw you, Caddy. We're going to keep going because there's no way we're sleeping in that picture room again. Yeah, they don't want to camp out again. Mm-mm. I mean, no one's rested. No. And why weren't they allowed to go? Were they afraid the news and the the swarms of people would yeah or maybe they just like them. leave town right <laughs> like, like i'm out. out of here yeah, without my bells trial. i'm gonna go yeah but then hamilton chimes in and says hey you know what it's late um you know what we don't even need to do a closing argument over here the defense our case is so strong that we don't need to sum it up wow let's just get out of here guys this had to be a huge relief to the jury um and a risk them i would imagine yeah but it had to endear them to the jury a bit because oh. it's like saying let's wrap this up you guys know what to do let's go yeah <laughs> the judge basically says okay it's over folks and then the judge basically gives the defense's closing argument himself wow because he tells the jury how weak the prosecution's case is <sighs> point by point he all but tells the jury to vote not guilty wow the jury deliberates for five minutes five minutes in the middle of the night and the verdict comes back not guilty not guilty wow it's over levi is free i mean the townspeople still kind of want to hang him and he has to leave town oh wow but he's free Mm -hmm. everyone in the courtroom shakes hands there's a story and it's probably just a story that right after the trial Catherine ring elma's quaker cousin went up to Alexander Hamilton and put a curse on him, saying, if thee dies a natural death, I shall think there is no justice in heaven. Oh, wow. This story comes from a granddaughter of hers uh, who wrote a book about the murder years later. So even if it's not true, it's nice to think that this grieving grandma took credit for Hamilton's death in a duel. Oh, my Like gosh. four years later. Wow, four years later. Yeah. By Burr. Yeah. Who was his teammate on this. Yes. So screwed up. And that brings us to act three. Okay. The real killer. Do we know who really killed her? We don't know shit. Okay. And I don't trust anyone. So what's the real killer? Why are you naming it that We're just spitting in the wind. Because it's the hunt for the real killer. And maybe we have some good ideas. Okay. You got me hopeful, though, thinking that you were going to tell me who really did this. It's important to have hope. Okay, I yeah. have hope, but I'm wondering if maybe it's false. <laughs> it might be false hope. I think that's what it is. So the question is, if Levi didn't do it, who did? Well, I don't know. There's Croucher. Croucher, the scary yellow man? Yes. The author of the book I mentioned, uh, Duel with the Devil, Paul mm-hmm. Collins, he thinks that Croucher is the most likely suspect. Really? And he even found out more about Croucher's violent background. Oh. So Croucher is a good suspect because, I mean, he's a terrible person. And why didn't he like Alma? Because she was scared of him that one night? Maybe. Well, what's his motive? Oh, for watching her get intimate with other people? Maybe. Maybe. He was jealous? 
Yeah, he is an you awful person. Power over her. He had a, a violent background in England before he even came to the U.S. But his crimes get even darker. I'm afraid. You mean darker than killing a woman? Yeah. with a well. Yes. What? Well, how does it get darker than that? So earlier in the same month of the trial, Croucher had gotten married. <gasps> it didn't take long for his wife to go to the police to report that he had beaten her. Mm-hmm. She said that they were fighting about her adopted daughter, mm-hmm. 13-year-old Margaret Clark, mm. because they she thought. said two months earlier, Croucher had raped the girl. Oh, God. The police spoke to Margaret, and she told them what happened, and it's awful. Mm. Um, without getting into too much detail, Croucher was a door-to-door salesman, and he visited Margaret's house fairly often. He'd taken a liking to her mother. Mm. One day, he convinced the mother that he needed Margaret's help cleaning some things at his place. He lured her there to the Rings boarding house for work, locked her in his room, forced himself on her, and threatened to kill her if she said anything. Oh, God. And then a couple of weeks later, he married her mother and moved in with them. Oh, God. Yeah. So when Margaret told the police what happened, Croucher was arrested and he was put on trial. Mm. Again, Cadwallader, Caddy, mm-hmm. he was the prosecutor. And Croucher had a familiar defense attorney. No. Not, not Hamilton or Burr, but Brookhills Livingston. He was the other uh, defense attorney for Levi Weeks. Oh, okay. Defending this guy would not have helped Hamilton or Burr's legacies. So it's really mm-hmm. good that they didn't. Like, there would be no musical if they defended Croucher <laughs> oh, like this guy did. Wow. Yeah. The defense's argument was that it was consensual. Oh, God. Because back then, as they pointed out, you only had to be 10 years old to consent to sex. Oh, my God. That, this is really sickening. I know. That argument, it seems like a horrible relic from the past. But some of the other arguments that they use seem like more modern victim blaming that we're used to. Like, why didn't she come forward sooner? Why didn't she fight harder? Uh Why didn't she scream? She says she didn't fight or scream or anything like that. Because she was terrified. And because he threatened to kill her. Yeah. And she Uh. couldn't escape him. He was constantly around as her stepfather, like beating her and raping her. And she had good reason to take these threats extra seriously because of the details of Elma San's murder which he came home and told her about every day because he was at the trial and or because he was the one who killed her. So he made it super clear that death threats against young women were very much a reality. Uh, He was coming home and telling this to his 14-year-old. 13-year-old. 13-year-old stepdaughter. Yeah, I mean, it was the talk of the town anyway, but he had been at the trial hearing all the details. Mm. Yeah. So for some reason, Croucher didn't invoke his Fifth Amendment rights not to incriminate himself. He chose to testify, and his testimony is gross. He admitted to sleeping with his 13-year-old stepdaughter, but he says he did it to prove to her mother that she was a prostitute. Oh, my God. And he said the only reason her mother even found out about it was that he told her. This is so gross. So the jury saw it as like a he said, she said, who do you believe? And that was probably totally accepted then. They deliberated for four minutes. Oh, my God. And they found Croucher guilty. Okay. Well, at least it went the right way there. He was sentenced to life in prison with hard labor. Oh, good. So he was put away where he could never hurt anybody again. Except this is New York in 1800 and nothing makes sense. (sighs) And for some reason, Governor DeWitt Clinton 
pardon Croucher just a few years into his sentence. Oh my God, what is wrong? The story is worse and worse and yeah. worse. So he's pardoned on the condition that he leave the country. He didn't leave the country. Oh. He went to Virginia where he stole some money and, and then, then he seems to have fled to England where the story goes that he was executed for some heinous crime. Although I don't believe anyone's found like actual evidence of that. Okay. Yeah. So. Oh, wow. So he's the most likely suspect. I mean, yeah. And it sounds like there was some kind of sexual assault involved with her dress being ripped above the waist. And It's very possible. And there's so many scenarios where if he were the killer, it could be maybe he lusted after her. Maybe he was also jealous of Levi if Levi and her were together. Maybe he tried to make a move on her and she didn't want to. Yeah. I mean... Yeah. And was fighting back, you know? Yeah. So as far as the suspects in the murder of Elma Sands, you've got Richard Croucher, who was mm-hmm. a disgusting predator who definitely seems capable of it. Mm-hmm. And it seems like she hated him. Yeah. You've got Levi Weeks, whose motive is not super clear. Yeah. He didn't want to get married. It's, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It seems like overkill. He thought she was pregnant. <sighs> but that's knows? also weird because they're, you know, they would have gotten married and then who cares? If maybe he didn't want to get married. Maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. Then you've got Mr. Ring, who may or may not have been sleeping with Elma when There's his wife was out of town. Really no witness of that. No. And you know, if you believe the neighbor who heard the bed thumping of a high-voiced man. <laughs> but there's no proof of it being him. Right. And then there's Levi's apprentice. Who knows what his story was? <sighs> All right. This guy's already got one strike against him in my book. Why? Because his name is William Anderson. And that's oh. way too common. And it makes searching for details impossible. Oh, gosh. You prefer a Cadwell... Cadwallard or Calden. Give me yes. a Levi Weeks, and Ezra Weeks. Yeah, all day mm-hmm. long I can take them. Yeah, but not a William. William Anderson? Like, William Anderson. screw it. It's like, it's like Joe Schmo, yeah. Yeah. Jane Doe. I would take Joe Schmo in a heartbeat <laughs> over William Anderson. Um, but this guy, he was pretending to be asleep, or he was lying about pretending to be asleep and just making up a story that Levi got up. Either way, I don't trust him. Have you ever pretended to be asleep? When I was a little kid. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 I don't often do that anymore. Or when you need something. <laughs> <laughs> I see how it is. And then there's this. So get this. Okay. A few weeks before Alma went missing, Uh-oh. another woman was found murdered. A woman named Rose Malone. Her body was discovered inside of a well. Or a cistern, half a mile from Elma's home. What's a cistern? And less than a mile from where her body was found. What's a cistern, you ask? A cistern can easily be mistaken for a well, because it can also just be a hole in the ground. But a cistern technically is waterproof, and it's made for holding, like, rainwater. Oh, is that what we saw in... Istanbul? Istanbul? Yeah, the uh, Basilica cistern. cistern. Oh my gosh, that was my favorite. It was gorgeous. This thing in New York probably just looked like a well. Okay. No faces carved into the pillars. <laughs> no, there was no, no, no Medusa upside heads, down upside down. Medusas. Okay. No. So everyone thought that that woman's like, new husband was the killer. And maybe he was. Maybe this case possibly inspired whoever killed Elma to also put her body in a well. Uh, because apparently it's a terrible hiding spot. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe there was a serial killer in New York City in 1799 Mm -hmm. who murdered women and dumped their bodies in wells when did jack the ripper live um 1888 i think quite a bit later yeah yeah (laughs) okay um and maybe 
Maybe that killer was Richard Croucher. Mm, well, it sounds like Croucher has a pattern. Mm-hmm. Is that who you think did it? Well, maybe it was Croucher who like wrote her a note or something and let her out there. Oh, you think he, he pretended to be Levi? Maybe. Whoa. And let her out there. That is some sick stuff. Yeah, because I don't think she would willingly go anywhere with him. With Croucher? Probably not. So maybe she thought she was meeting Levi and it was him. Mm. Wow. So all that we know for sure is that Elma Sands never got justice. Bummer. Some say that that led to her ghost haunting that well for ages. Mm -hmm. Uh, An 1895 magazine said, Young men and maidens who pass the spot late at night testify they can hear her scream as she vainly implores her lover for her life. Wow. Yeah. The site became a restaurant in, in the <laughs> 1980s. In the 80s? 1980s? Yeah, 1980s. It was the Manhattan Bistro, and people reported strange things in the basement, silverware and dishware moving by themselves. Wow. Now, it is a clothing store called uh, COS, C-O-S. Uh, it's part of H&M. Uh. And the excavated well is just sitting there in the basement. Are you about to show me a picture? I'm about, I'm about to show you a picture of the well. Hold on. Oh, wow. It's very tall. That all used to be underground. Okay. Yeah, this was dug up. Um, oh, so this was... This is in a basement now of right. a clothing store. Right, I see. Yeah, and you can just go there shopping and see this well that's not marked or anything. I mean, do the people who are there know this story? Some people might. On Google Maps, I think you can see a, a listing for the Elma Sands well. Well, okay. So it's not a secret. No, it's not a secret. (laughs) Next week, we are going to dig into the history of that well. What? And the history behind the Manhattan Company. Oh, cool. Which involves Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton in a deceitful, scheming battle that's even more exciting to me than the one which ended Hamilton's life. Wow. So I want to thank our wonderful patrons. I want to give a shout out to some of our newer ones, especially <gasps> Courtney. Thank you. Christopher. Christopher. Jim, Nikki. Do we have a lot of new Elizabeth, ones. Elizabeth. Matthew. I love having new patrons. I can't wait to do some Zooms and yeah. some special stuff. And Absolutely. It, yeah. That's going to be really fun. Yes. Thank you. You keep us going. We appreciate it so much. Yeah. Another thing y'all should check out. Y'all. Y'all. History Camp America. It's a very cool online history conference with a bunch of great sessions all in one day. I gave a talk there last year called Saving John Quincy Adams from Alligators and Mole People. (laughs) Um, And I really enjoyed all the other talks that I saw that day. We are going to be there this year doing a short presentation on the pod, um, sort of a mini-sode. It is November 5th. You can check out historycamp.org slash America and use the promo code PLOTTING22 for $5 off. Nice. We will see you there. Yes. So if you like what you heard, spread the word. Spread it. And happy Halloween. Oh, it's the best. And vote. And thank you for plotting along with us. Yes, absolutely. Vote and plot. Bye. Bye. Come on down. Bring your muffles.